Season 2, Episode 3 of the Nordic Arts Agency podcast, a podcast connecting emerging and established international artists and art influencers from around the globe. I'm your host, Juliet, a British expat, art historian and gallerist based in Sweden. Every fortnight, I'm in conversation with an artist or art influencer whose artwork or insight inspires me personally. The Nordic Arts Agency currently represents 12 international artists, and this is an opportunity to explore their creative process and vision in more depth. This week, we're joining British abstract painter and installation artist Sarah Dare from her West Sussex studio. Sarah Dare is one of the latest artists to join the Nordic Arts Agency. We had the pleasure of exhibiting her work last year in the gallery show, Dear Painting, a group exhibition of eight abstract painters curated by artist Joe Hummel. As I continued to hugely admire Sarah's work, it felt very natural to collaborate together once again on a more permanent basis. And I'm thrilled that now we are representing Sarah's work exclusively in Scandinavia. Sarah typically works on a large scale using paper, linen and canvas combined with a range of mediums selected for their viscosity and finish, such as ink, oil, emulsion and acrylic. Her paintings seek an evocative experience of visceral negotiation with the viewer, initially playful or peaceful, followed by a sense of unease or tension. There is an unsettled element to Sarah's work which I connect to. It leaves you feeling captivated but also curious as to what lives on beyond or below the composition. Sarah studied fine art painting at the University of Brighton and has gradually evolved her unique painting practice of repetitive, large, gestural brushstrokes, which connects the material, audience, and the environment wherever the artwork is being shown. Due to the pandemic, I've been unable to enjoy a studio visit with Sarah and to really spend time soaking up the nuances found in her work. So I have been looking forward to this recording of the conversation for the podcast and unpacking Sarah Dare's abstract painting and the modus behind her work. So a very warm welcome to Sarah Dare, and thank you for joining me on the Nordic Arts Agency podcast. Thanks, Juliet. It's um, really good to get a chance to talk. So as I mentioned, Sarah, we haven't met, but four of your paintings were exhibited at the gallery last March, which must have been the most unfortunate time to open an exhibition ever, as the world was literally shutting down due to the pandemic. It's great to sort of revisit what I felt about your work initially when it was in the gallery. Your paintings are bold, abstract compositions and quite a new departure for the Nordic Art Agency in many ways. There's something much rawer and unrefined in your painting, which is spontaneous, yet clearly very controlled and purposeful. How would you describe the methodology or intentions behind your compositions? Well, the compositions um, have evolved really from making work um, about the body um, to making work that suggests the body to to work that hopefully is exploring being human in a more broader sense um, so the repeated forms of the dome um, or valley uh, have been developed from many many angles so in the larger works so my preferred scale is between about 150 and two meters um, the form is executed in an uninterrupted strike or stroke um, so that this connection and the physical contact is visible by the viewer. So, and at this scale, the execu- execution is just within reach and, and actually challenge. So it prevents this um, a slick finish and, and you can see that somebody was there 
and um, the brush just made it to the edge. Um, I enjoy how these certain shapes, like the dome or the valley, have a sort of psychological charged element to them and are ambiguous and make people curious or confused. And 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 also that there sort of tends to be one main shape uh, which people can then relate to. And um, at this scale, that sort of main form creates a, a physiological space for the viewer as well. So it becomes a tunnel or an archway um, and a space that a, a person can relate to, go inside or around. I think that I also play with the ambiguity of form and our associations with the shapes. Um, so some works and some shapes are more humorous than others. Some Sometimes they're more playful. And I can, I can play that up or down with colour. And I try to get a balance between su- seducing the viewer um, with play and, um, and then pushing them away with a shape that might seem confrontational in a different context. So playing around with organic you can see the brush stroke a contrived shape that sort of hits the edge of the canvas pulling somebody in with something that looks fun humorous and then almost repulsion if it it doesn't sit comfortably with the viewer once they're standing in front of this this space that's you know can be quite um imposing as you relating it to the body is there any gender factor to it because some of your works do feel more masculine due to the palette, but also the way in which the strokes appear. And some of them, to me, feel more intimate and, and feminine. Do you ever feel that you're accrediting it to a certain gender? That's an interesting question, actually. And I was thinking about um, Louise Bourgeois today, actually, and about how um, she so eloquently tackles or kind of talks uh, through symbolism about gender. And... Um, I think I've always, I think I've got gender in the back of my mind. I, I like, I like the fact that that my work sort of plays with gender in the, again, talking about the connotations that people associate with shape and colour, definitely. There are one, there are paintings, obviously, that, are, that tend to lean towards one gender, but I like to do something with that painting that will turn it on, it, on its head so that it, it has you guessing again, whether it more fam- female or more male, whether that's sort of, swapping inverting colors around or changing the title so the title suggests something entirely different to what the form might be suggesting um so it's it's something that i'm aware of but i again i don't like to i don't like to push it in one direction i think it's nice to sort of play with where that might lean towards into and, and sort of and not settle in one on one camp when you're developing a new series of work what is your approach to your painting practice and what sort of steps lead you in order to decide which shape or which symmetrical aspect you're going to be developing um I have I have several approaches to working so I keep um, a lot of sketchbooks and notebooks and these are used for uh, titles, um, shapes, their notes on colour and combinations. So um, when I'm in the studio, I'll look back over these notes initially and sketches and then um, warm up with some works on paper. I'm quite lucky I have quite a large studio space to work in. So I can lay out sequences of paper on the floor uh, using, um, I normally start with quite a fluid medium such as ink or emulsion and repeat forms or sequences of forms and rely 
on instincts as to which compositions to take further. So it might be a relationship between two shapes um, that stands out or the weight of a form um, or the way that the shape is interacting with the edge of the paper that makes it stand out from the others. It might look like it's sort of bouncing off the edge or leaning in towards it. Um, so this this kind of repetition of form and um, the development of the muscle memory allows me to retain that handmade or raw quality when I increase it to a larger scale and on canvas so that you can um, so the viewer can see that the work and see how the work is made and stays curious as to what happened when it was when it was executed and there's definitely a kind of performative aspect to my work I would like to explore further or, or kind of at least further expose I also use photography a great deal to keep records mainly of color and color combinations. But sometimes I start in the studio by exploring color first and the layering. So I try and keep a large canvas in process in my studio as a kind of ongoing experimental space, like a space where mistakes can happen and it doesn't matter. And uh, I'll use it to say test out a new large brush or a particular layering of color and practicing this approach to painting and, and this sort of attitude to painting regularly, especially at a large scale, it helps me not to become neurotic or, or controlling about the work. So, and it, it starts to feel a bit more like a collaboration um, between sort of the way that the paint wants to behave and where I want it to go so that I can allow the paint to bleed into the canvas, but pull it back if I want to. I, I'm, I like, you know, to retain a combination of hard edges and bleed in the same in the same work, different different surfaces. I treat surface and medium very much in a similar way to, as I, as I would sort of approach color. Do you have many canvases on the walls at the same time? So you're working on on several works continuously, or is it more that you have an experimental canvas and then you will begin another piece? Um, a, bit, a bit of both, actually. I'm, I've always got several pieces of work on the go, but I'll start with a larger selection. And then and I think that there, some of the works will start to have a conversation or a dialogue where they look, you know, they'll, it will stand out that they are starting to work together. The work will naturally uh, pair up or um, splinter off into different directions. Um, so then I can put some of the work aside, start to work on, say, two or three together. Um, obviously, it's, it's, quite, it's quite fluid. So some that just feel like they need a break might be just put on pause while, while others are started. I realise that I'm, I'm lucky to be in a position where I can have um, quite a few pieces on the go at the same time. I'm, I'm never going to be one of those um, artists um, is able to sort of start working and then put their their things away and then and then, but it's a very immersive environment and I th I think that that really helps the process where you know I'm, I'm almost surrounded by the work. Then they start to sort of speak to each other. You have an interest in both art installation and abstract painting. What kind of installation works have you created, and how do you feel this discipline has informed your painting? In installation, yeah, is definitely an area that I would uh, very much like to explore further. Um, I'm interested in the relationships and interactions with paintings and the environment and other objects. So I've used made and found objects in exhibitions alongside my paintings. And um, I've also used 
large works on paper as a backdrop, like almost like wallpaper to the works on canvas. This is very much about the sort of conversation between the works, the older work, the new work, and, and hopefully seeing the practice as something bigger than the sort of than the final pieces. Um, and I know I talked earlier about the sort of dialogue. It's, it's trying to sort of present and expose the dialogue and what happens um, in the studio space. So pre- presenting the work in a sort of non-art space or with non-art objects, an everyday landscape, it, it sort of initially started as a reaction against or something to support and give art relevance when viewing it on a, a digital platform. I, I feel that it, that you document the paintings in, say, um, urban landscapes or an environment that stands out as being it's the opposite of a white box and kind of and domestic and kind of um, everyday pe- things that people see on you know on a day to day basis. Um, and making the, the painting work harder, and it's it's because it's interacting with its surroundings. It's it's harder for it to engage with its audience. It's finding a different relevance in terms of proportion and colour and physicality. And um, also, I I think that by changing the background and and showing painting in a different way and showing painting alongside objects, you can illuminate different presences within the work. So like a bodily presence and uh, physicality is um, underscored if, if in a sort of hard edged backdrop drips or an uneven surface or a wonky aesthetic um a slightly off symmetry is is emphasized and then the painting it seems it seems more alive or hanging i've also hung work unstretched so that it sort of moves as you're viewing it which again is kind of emphasizing that sort of physicality there's a there's like um, a few artists that I think do this really well. I talked about Louise Bourgeois and um, before about how she interchanges between um, installation, painting, printmaking, drawing, and the pra- her practice is very much sort of between all of these works. Um, I was also really lucky to see the, the Franz West exhibition at the at Tate Modern. I think that was in 2019. Really enjoyed the the relationships between sculpture, painting, performance, furniture. And that, and that the work was very much about uh, relationships with the body, and then this, and about the space between it, which sort of it's, it challenges the industry. Um, it's it's direct, unpretentious. It's relatable. Anything I think that changes the landscapes and you know and allows you to look at something in a in a different way, um, whether that's presenting it in a different way or combining um, installation and painting and you know, for example, the way that other artists work talks to each other and brings out something else. And as you say, it brings a different quality to the work. You you speak in terms of your work feeling quite like they're almost living beings, that they have these inner lives in some ways. And by placing them in different environments, they interact with the environment differently. Are you against sterile galleries for placement of artwork? Or, or is it just being given the opportunity to experience them in multiple places no it's, it's definitely the latter I'm I'm not against the the white box I'm interested in how that affects the way people interact with what they're looking at on the wall and more so in, in during the pandemic we've witnessed these um, virtual tours of work you know popping up on social media 
renders of environments made on the computer, CGI, um, nothing will ever replace seeing art in, in the flesh. The contrast of seeing work in a, in a white space is exactly what that piece, I think, needs to amplify its presence. And, and then sometimes showing work in an unexpected environment, it sort of catches you off guard. And, and I think you are engaged, you've engaged different senses and therefore will read the work differently out of context. I completely agree with you. And I think in some ways, looking at these very generic uh, computer-generated spaces where artwork are being placed out of necessity right now, because obviously you can't mm. view works in galleries, there has been, for me, some soullessness about that experience. And actually, I know also there's a new augmented reality app where you can take an image or take a painting, say, for example, one of your artworks, and you can place it in an environment like you're saying. So I mm. could, so a client could see a painting in their living room based on this augmented reality program. And in some ways, that's interesting. But at the same time, I think seeing the work alive in, in, in another environment is just so, so much more of an enrichment and exciting experience. I don't think it's ever going to be replicated by anything digital, regardless of how clever and slick these applications become. These um, computer-generated spaces are sort of almost, they're, they're believable. They're kind of but believable to a point that there's something not quite right about them. And, it's, and I suppose it's that sort of, it's the, it's the thing that is difficult to articulate that's about experiencing art in the flesh. With viewing art online or viewing art digitally, and something which I think very strongly about your painting, is the nuances of colour which you can really only gauge when viewing your work in the flesh. I think that's, in some ways, it's, it's either heightened or it's drained out. And colour is a dominant feature in your painting. And not only the placement of colour on colour, but also colours supporting colours and perhaps even the fading of one colour into another. And the recent series that you've created for the gallery features works such as Mermaid Purse and Dirty and Sweet, which I both I think they're both fantastic works, and both of them veil colour beneath colour, and in some ways they they messy the the palettes which otherwise would be very fluid and very pastel graduations, which which would be lovely. They kind of veil the colours, so they sort of dirty them. And other works also allow the colour to bleed to the edges until they slowly reduce and fade. How important is the use of colour and the creative process behind how it drives your practice? You're very correct. Uh, colour is a dominant feature um, in my painting. It is something that um, I find as much a challenge um, as, as much as I like to retain an instinctive approach with colour as well. And actually showing colours and, and my work in its true form, especially digitally, has, has always been a problem. Um, some of my more monochromatic um, pieces, it's very difficult to show that there is, there is actually a hint of green in the sort of paler colour and, and that the main form isn't black. In, in fact, it's a sort of deep aubergine. And, um, and it's only when you sort of see that um, in the flesh that you can you can watch those colours vibrate against each other. Influence for colour comes from all sorts of um, mostly very un unromantic places. 
um, I'd like to say through travel and um, things like that. But it's not, it's not. It's things like road signs or old garage doors that are faded in the sun or my children's bedrooms and like their toys, especially the horrible plastic ones. Uh, I layer up and play with these colours to question the associations that we have with colour so that the, the work doesn't sit too firmly and pretty, remains ambiguous or enigmatic. I might layer, like you said, a pastel colour, like a pink, say, over a black, so that it's visible from underneath. So one colour is being dirtied or contaminated almost by the other. Um, and th- this also relates back to why I use such a broad range of mediums. So like emulsion next to oil or ink with acrylic, because they, they don't work together. They create different surfaces that sit next to each other. So it feels um, more authentic. So I think about the beauty when I'm I think about beauty when I'm working and I'm aware of it when I'm slipping in in sort of into an inauthentic place and I think that the layers and and sort of a history and the veiling of color and um it emotionally feels more real I think sometimes I'm, I'm disappointed for example if I come to a, a conclusion uh, on a, a painting that is some, you know, some paintings you struggle with more than others. They're not quite there. I try not to plan them too much. I try and leave areas open for instinct and for thing and for the painting to tell me what it might want, where it might want to go next. If a painting works too uh, too early on in its kind of development, I sometimes find that that hard because there's less of this. It's it almost feels too contrived. Like it was planned and and then re-executed. And the paintings that are slower and show something that happened underneath, a history. um, That's why I also often leave the edges of especially the larger works. You can see again, going back to how it was made, the drips down the side, paint that's flicked outside the shape. It, It gives the painting a sense of being alive and, and again back to the sort of honesty and authentic nature of the work and, and being human rather than it being drawn out measured filled in I kind of feel the same about the hard edge as well and the bleed sometimes there'll be both in a, in a piece of work um, sometimes the painting will only have hard edges but I just I feel that there needs to be a sort of organic quality in there so paintings that may appear especially digitally to be sort of flat color hard edge they'll definitely there's always a an element of texture going on where you can see the brush stroke you can always observe the the physical uh, contact and what happened in the studio it's it's been exposed so that so that the viewer can relate to it basically and, and the practice that sense of the physical and the lack of perfection took me some time, actually, when I first began to do your work. And interestingly, I don't know if you know the work of Cal Robertson, but we had some of her painting alongside your work in the Dear Painting Exhibition. And her work is exactly the opposite. It's very much formulated on perfect circles, on perfect washes of, of oils and mm-hmm. Her work gives a feeling of comfort and security and safety in a way. There is a there's wonder in 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 how accurate every aspect of the artwork is, and that's that's a, 
for me is a is an entirely different experience looking at your painting and somehow discrediting the idea of something being invalid because it's not perfect but actually embracing it as you do it, it leaves me with a much deeper need to understand what lies behind the work and I definitely feel that when I try and disregard my need for control which I definitely have when I look at artwork I want to have a full understanding um, of why the artist is doing exactly what they're doing in, in that in that moment within the artwork and in some ways with yours you have to have this uh, sense of abandonment that you have to give give your feelings about the work over to to as it is for its purest organic sort of sense and I think that's the strength in especially your choice of color for me because often the palettes are are brilliant but there's that aspect of it that you've just twisted where it becomes mm. slightly uncomfortable is that that's obviously apparent that that's quite uh, that's something that you do in order to, to disconnect the perfect or disconnect the balance is that accurate uh yeah I think so I think um yeah there's a definitely a an element of sort of sabotage that, that happens <laughs> yes, when I'm that's, working. That's exactly um, the word. That's right. Yes, sabotage. Yes. Yeah. And it's um and it, and often when I'm looking at other work by other artists, it's that the the area of work I, I'm either looking for a troublesome brushstroke or um something that's slightly wonky or I'm or I'm delighted to find it. You know, and and almost, and I like I don't know something about whether it's a mistake or not a mistake. It's a sort of a, a troublesome colour that's been left over, maybe from um, something that's been underneath or something like that. I just I find it it's a place to start when I look at work. It pulls me in. I also take comfort in. I understand how you feel about work that has a sort of element of perfection to it, the perfect circle. I I understand it. I'm also drawn to it, but in in a in a comforting way in that um it's it's soothing to be in a space that is um symmetrical and even but but so rare i kind of try i'm trying to say it's okay to sit with the chaos i feel like we've almost come full circle to how we began the conversation when you discussed about the human and body aspects of the work and how that's very much inspires a lot of the the form and the shape because I I imagine as humans are all flawed there's that sense that we are all symmetrical on some level but we all have aspects of us which are possibly not precise or exact or perfect and I imagine that's in some ways encapsulates exactly what you're driven by when thinking about the human body and, and that aspect yeah, yes, absolutely. I can I can remember um what, what you said just reminded me of um the first time that I saw uh, Jenny Savile's uh work in the flesh. I was lucky to see one of her exhibitions uh in Rome, I think, actually. She really pushed that up close, raw, visceral I can remember being completely blown away, even though her work is so different uh, from a di- completely different angle than my work. But it was it was the feeling that I got when I was standing in front of her work that I was I was attracted to. It was this sense of almost being able to to smell it or kind of it was the immersive experience of of being 
being exposed to this uh, huge piece of work, you could see you could see that that the you could see the activity that had happened on this surface. You sort of became part of that work, and um, it was a very physical experience. She was capturing something, which I hope to capture about that sort of um, connecting with different parts of you know you're looking at it, you're kind of relating to it in a physical sense. One thing. I feel when I view your work, particularly with this whole nifty gateway digital art boom that's happened over the last six months where all this work is sort of digitally created online to be only viewed digitally. The aspect is, and you mentioned earlier, the sense of connection and connectivity to the physical within your work for me is something which I really value. You really bring something very different to a space and I'm excited to be able to exhibit your work alongside other artists in the next art pop-up I'm actually hosting at the end of April. Because I do think, as you were saying earlier, by pasting art alongside other artists, you have an entirely different experience. And I think somehow your work will enrich all of the artworks that I will be exhibiting. So thank you, Sarah. And thank you for joining me on the podcast. And I really do hope that we're able to meet and I can visit your studio and I can invite you to the gallery in Sweden very soon. Thank you, Juliet. Sarah's most recent series of eight artworks will be exhibited at our Hansa Loves Art Spring Art Pop-Up here in Malmö, which opens on Friday, April the 30th and will run until May the 30th. We're set in over 500 square metres in Hansa, so there's plenty of space to enjoy the artwork and socially distance safely. Sarah's artwork, as I mentioned, will be exhibited alongside new works by Bia Searis, Marta La Fuente, Molly Brocklehurst, Joe Hummel, and Natalie Christensen. So it's an all-female lineup. I'll be including all the details of the art pop-up and Sarah's artist page and her own Instagram in the show notes. And you'll also be able to view a selection of her works on our Nordic Arts Agency podcast Instagram account. So do check that out. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please do rate it and leave me a comment as it's helpful for others to find us. And it also supports the artists who feature on the show. Join me in two weeks when I shall be in conversation with Spanish architectural artist Bia Serres. So until next time, goodbye. (laughs) 